everyone, welcome to the Curiosity Cast, a place where we explore a variety of topics, meet interesting people, and follow our curiosity wherever it takes us. I'm your host, Allie Merrill, and thanks for tuning in. Today we are chatting with David Clock. He is a high school orchestra teacher in Bellevue, Washington. He co-founded a nonprofit called Neighborhood Arts Collective, and he also has the cutest St. Bernard dog named Lou. She's amazing. And he also is married to my cousin. So I have some pretty awesome cousins, you'll notice, as they're featured here. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to share this conversation with you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. So thanks for joining me, David. Well, thank you. This has already been a pleasure. <laughs> you can say that more. Uh, that would be great. Great. Will do. <laughs> um, David, can you tell me just a little bit? I just want people to get to know you a little. If you can share where you're from, where you grew up, a little bit about how you got into music. Yeah, thanks. Um, I am from Colorado originally. I grew up in a town called Fort Collins, which is about halfway between Denver and Cheyenne, Wyoming. I am one of three kids... And our parents, forced is too strong of a word, our parents <laughs> provided the mandatory opportunity for <laughs> music lessons when we were growing up, all three of us. Um, so we each grew up playing piano from, gosh, I know I was five. I think my sisters also were five years old. Anyways, these, these are details that aren't neither here nor there. Uh, I grew up playing piano until I got to junior high and then uh, I switched over to guitar uh, and that was kind of the thing that stuck with me as much as I love piano now and, and I actually do use it and I'm thankful for that foundation. The guitar is the thing that caught my imagination so I kept playing it through high school and then went to college uh, and studied music education and when you study music of any sort, uh, you have to have a primary instrument or a mm -hmm. voice. And my primary instrument was classical guitar. So since I entered uh, undergraduate studies in 2003, I've been a classical guitarist. And that's also stuck. So what do you think would have happened if your parents had not strongly encouraged slash mandated your oh, I'd be music on, education. I'd be on the street in a gutter somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good question. Because we were talking, and I guess what before you answer this question, we were just talking about this maybe a couple months ago with some friends, and they asked you for your advice on you're a musician. Oh, right. Did your parents make you? Did you do it by choice? And they kind of asked all of us who had a little bit of background in music. So... I think parents sometimes want to know what's the right way to go about it. Anyway, so I'm just curious from your perspective, like where would you be and would you, do you think you still would have pursued music? That's a really good question. I First of all, I don't think there's a right way with every kid. Uh, I think 12 years of being a teacher has shown me that each kid is very, very different and what works with one might not work with the next one. I'm also not a parent, so I'm not going to tell people how to parent. <laughs> um personally, if I hadn't, and I know, and I really do appreciate that for my parents, that was a sacrifice mm -hmm. financially and, and time wise to make sure that we each got music lessons. And I really appreciate that. Um, 
if they hadn't done that, I, I think my interest in music would have been like anybody else's. I think mm-hmm. it is something that is very inherent in humanity. I mean, it. everybody... I don't. If there's people out there who don't enjoy music, I think either they haven't found the right thing to to enjoy, or they're psychotic. That I mean, <laughs> nobody can't find something that they enjoy in music. So I think yeah. at, at the very base level, I would have been intrigued by it and connected with it. Um, and also, I think there's something in my personality that that really connects with it, specifically music like instrumental music. If I can get words out of the way, I tend to connect with that musical content a lot better than if there's words involved. So I think I would have probably been involved with it just like anybody else and had my favorite bands and gone to concerts and all of that stuff. Um, But I don't think I would have made a living with it and made it into my profession Hmm. um, without... Yeah, really opportunities since I was five years old to be to get really good education and get good exposure to stuff. Right. Um, I think that had a lot to do with it. You went to school for it. Mm-hmm. And then have you been teaching music ever since you graduated pretty much? I have. Yeah. Okay. I It took me a long time to graduate. I went the five year route um, and I've been teaching since then. Okay. Uh, I think this is year 12. Um, Year one of teaching online now that this whole coronavirus thing is happening. But um, 12 years of teaching, I started in uh, Maryland right outside of Washington, D.C. And I had followed your cousin, my wife, Skylar, all the way out there. Um, And I taught there for a while. And then we moved back to Colorado and I taught there um, just south of Denver initially and then in Denver. Um, And I had a... I think five or six year stint where I taught Spanish in the middle there because music programs were getting cut left and right. And I had some basic Spanish. So I took the Colorado state, um, license exam essentially, uh, for Spanish and and taught that, um, for a time. And then I got back to teaching orchestra a few years ago. Oh, we went to Malaysia also after Colorado. And then we've been in Washington for three years now. Um, So you, um, this was one thing I wanted to ask you about, and you just mentioned music programs getting cut. Mm -hmm. Is that something that is happening more often around the country, at least in the U.S.? Have you noticed that more? That's a good question. I, I wish I had stayed in better contact with musicians and music teacher friends in those other states I used to live in, because I honestly don't really know right now. Okay. I know we're... In the Northwest, there seems to be a lot more support for it than I had seen elsewhere. Um, and we're really lucky in that sense. Um, it, it, they're not getting cut here like they, at least, I mean, and granted, like what I think of is, you know, 2008, 2009 was financially a different time mm-hmm. for everybody than 2015 was, right. you know. Um, so the things that I saw getting cut were you know, 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. 2011. Um, and I've been pretty fortunate that in these better years, I'm up here where they're not getting cut. I don't know if they're getting cut now like they were in the rest of the country. I do know that music, PE, visual arts, those are 
always at the bottom of the totem pole in education. And if something's going to get cut, it's most likely going to be them. Hmm. Um, what yeah. do you, I mean, what do you think about music and art generally there, that role in kids learning as they grow oh, up? Oh man, I'm <laughs> as biased as they come. Uh, but I think they're just as important as anything else. I, will argue till I'm red in the face, which I kind of am right now, actually. <laughs> I, you got me after I got we're running. we're on audio yeah. only. There's no camera or else you'd see my beat red face. Um, I, I will argue till I'm red in the face or blue in the face, however the expression goes, that, that music in particular is at least as important as everything else. I know that... I'm biased and probably art and PE also are. <laughs> so let me wrap those all into one thing. Mm-hmm. I think in our adult lives on a day-to-day basis, the things that I learn, and I spend most of my time in high school, um, you know, in my teaching. Um, so I think of the classes that are offered in high school. I think in our adult lives, we use a lot of those skills. Mm-hmm the value that I see being given to the arts is really outweighed by the value being given to other, other content areas and probably not, uh, how do I say it? Like it's not the same in the adult world. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, I don't, yeah, depending on what my career is, I don't need that second semester of calculus. I hate to say it, but I just, I don't. Um, I had a AP human geography class when I was a high school student and it was fascinating and wonderful. That was just as important as my math classes that I struggled in. You know, I was never that great in math, but I, anyways, this is all to say, I think the arts is just as important as everything else. Um, and there's something human to them that I think we all need. We all have this. Oh, I don't know, this uh, connection to to things that aren't practical. You know, Mm -hmm. if we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this might be close to the top of of that pyramid, but we have those needs also. Um, And when we go without them, I think we suffer. So, I, I find it really interesting because there are things like art therapy, music therapy, People say when they just start, even just take a pencil to a paper, Mm. even if they're not good, Mm -hmm. or they try an instrument, I mean, it it engages this other part of the brain that feels very therapeutic, and I don't know the science behind it, but I'm sure there is somewhere of how good it is for us. And so the thought of it being taken out of schools or, or just not having importance placed on it makes me really sad because if I wasn't exposed to it early on as a kid, I don't think I would have understood the value it could bring to my life. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, it, so it's just interesting to think through when you say a balanced and who needs that second semester of calculus. It's It totally depends on the person. Sure, sure. Um, my engineer friends need it. Yeah, they need Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> and we need them to have it because we drive on the roads they build. Right. I get that. And we yeah. need them to have art too. Or Yeah, right. anyway, so it's right. just interesting to think through kind of the... There's, um, I learned last week that, um, 
Oh, you're going to laugh. Uh, there's a woman on Instagram. <laughs> Good for you, David. Because I now know what Instagram David is. David does not go on Instagram. Uh, um... <laughs> Oh, I can't. I'm blanking on her name right now. She's an artist um, and also an educator. And she is holding, like, since this whole pandemic has broken out, she's started holding, uh, I don't even know what she calls them, like online courses, essentially, that anybody can tune into virtually hmm. drawing. And and w- one of the things you said reminded me of that because she starts those things by having people essentially get the jitters out and just, like, mm. scribble on the paper. Just... just draw whatever, scribble whatever, give it 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be anything. Just mm-hmm. kind of get that out of out of your way so that you're no longer in this. A lot of us are in this initially space of, well, what if I create something that's not good enough? Or what if what I put down first doesn't have any potential? Hmm. Well, who cares? You know, yeah. <laughs> take 30 seconds and get all of that out of the way. And then she moves into this. All right, now here's what we're going to do in our lesson today. Um, and apparently it has this very therapeutic value for the people who are all over the country. And I imagine in other, other spots in the world kind of tuning in and mm-hmm. going along with this at home, which I think is such a beautiful iteration of the arts yeah. right now. Um, and being stuck at home and having yeah. the time or having the space or yeah. not having many other options of things that they can do with their time. Well, and it's working on people's anxieties and it's mm-hmm. working on people's um, disconnections and fears right now. And I don't know, I'm not a psychologist and, I, and I'm, I, I assume there's a lot of long-term value mm-hmm. and something like that is so worth it, even if there's not long-term value. Yeah. Um, I just, I think the world would be better if more people did stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm not unbiased. Well, I'm just right about this one. <laughs> you you have done your part in bringing more art to the world oh, thank you. and providing that space for people to create. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the Neighborhood Arts Collective? Tell us what that is. Definitely. And then also what your inspiration was for starting it. Yeah, so we're a group of artists who create art with the intent of giving people opportunities for empathy. Our whole goal really is empathy. Um, And we kind of came at this with the idea of the arts largely, pretty much everybody, like I was saying earlier, can relate to something in the arts. We all have heard a song or seen a painting or seen somebody dance or dance ourselves and it and and it connected with us you know we all have that moment of of saying oh that's me also you know um i know i can listen to a song by somebody who i have nearly nothing in common with and if it's a good quality piece there will be a moment when i go oh that's me also you know um and then i can kind of empathize with the creator of that that piece of art um, so, so that's kind of what we would like to provide people with is let's empathize with each other through the arts in that way and how we do that. I'll get to the why, um, but how we do that is by interviewing one person. Um, we kind of sit down and, and sometimes we interview them multiple times. Um, but generally we spend a, a long time with this one person and, kind of find out what their day-to-day life is like, what their history is like, what their uh, stories are, essentially. Um, and then we, as a group of artists, uh, sit down and watch and listen to that interview over and over and over and then chat with each other and be like, all right, 
here are the things that I see in this person. Um, here are the things that I relate to or topics that they brought up or themes that came up throughout that interview that I would like to explore more. Then each of our artists creates a piece about that person or inspired by that person that hopefully our audience can somehow see themselves in um, and have that that's me as well moment. Um, The reason we do all of this is, well, and and this started late 2016, early 2017. Mm -hmm. Uh, My younger sister Elle and I um, were kind of, our, our conversations for a few months had been just really upset about all of the rhetoric being thrown around in I mean, we're used to it in media, right? But Mm -hmm. it it was rhetoric within social circles, rhetoric within family systems. And we've all experienced this, you know, four years later, we we know exactly how that is. Um, But after a couple months of that, Elle and I decided, you know, instead of just whining to each other and calling Mm -hmm. each other up and saying, hey, here's the latest ridiculous thing that I heard and, you know, uh, we decided well, let's do something good in the world and let's put something that's the opposite of that out there. Um, something that will hopefully bring people together instead of pulling them apart and uh, help them empathize with people instead of building divisions between people, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, yeah, then we started a conversation of what do we know how to do? And she's a writer and she's a brilliant writer. Um, I'm a musician and we thought, well, let's somehow we, we came to this idea of let's create art that portrays somebody and and pushes our audience to relate to them mm-hmm. um, and hopefully see more commonalities between us and people around us than there are uh, differences. So you choose one person whose story to feature or yeah. whose story to write, to create art mm-hmm. about. Um, how do you go about choosing those people to feature? Dang it. I hate this question because I don't have a concise answer. And I ask you, you know, it all three the time. years later. I no, that's good. I should have a better answer to this question. Everybody wants to know when they when I talk to them about this, and I don't have a. Anyways, I'm rambling. Let me ramble more. Um, we we're looking for people who are not going to make the headlines, anyways. Mm-hmm. Generally, is kind of the best way that I can put it. Uh, we're looking for you know, day-to-day people um, who, who you know, aren't celebrities, aren't doing extraordinary. I mean, everybody's doing something extraordinary. Honestly, that's the, the God-honest truth is that every person is interesting. Mm-hmm. And if we had the, the manpower and the time to, <laughs> to interview everybody, that would be wonderful. But we're, we're basically looking for regular people. Um, you know, and, and we want to um, find somebody who is somewhat relatable and might have something different in their lives than the last person we interviewed. Um, yeah, so that we, we hear from uh, as many different people as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> my wife always asks me, what are your criteria? Because she thinks so differently than I do. And mm-hmm. I go... I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Next question. You know, um, yeah. we don't have set criteria. Just, just looking for regular people who might be different than the person we did last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I can understand that for sure. 
Well, yeah. that's how I feel about this podcast. I'm like anybody that I want to talk to. Yeah, right. <laughs> anybody I'm yeah. interested in that that provides, like you said, a different perspective from myself, from other people, and have that mixed bag sort right. of so that if if empathy is your goal, mm-hmm. it's sort of growing that even bigger circle of people that we can mm-hmm. empathize with. And so that's not a criteria because it's literally everybody. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, could be, I should say, could know, be everybody. But yeah, you're right. But just then you pick and choose by it. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of it is like what's actually feasible. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my younger sister has a fascinating friend who's a scientist in Antarctica. Great. Wow. How <laughs> in the world could, I mean, I'm sure somebody out there could go, oh, here's how you do that. Mm-hmm. And, and great, please get a hold of us. Um, but some of it's what's feasible. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> what, what can we actually do? Yeah. So do you have a favorite piece of music that you've written or project that you've worked on within the Neighborhood Arts Collective? Um, or one that stands out so we don't have to pick favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my teacher self is like, no, no favorites, no favorites. <laughs> you all are winners. Um, no, some aren't. No, that's terrible. I shouldn't say that. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, ones that stick out... I think the collection that we did about Steven is really solid. I love that one. I love the photos. Um, Woody Rosalind took photos there and did a beautiful job of capturing Steven and and his Mm -hmm. family. Um, Personally, I'm proud of the music that I wrote for that one. It it was, well, you sang on it, you you know. Um, That was such a fun collection to work on. what L wrote for that one is so poignant and, and Steven did a great job about talking. Steven's an author too, right? So his use of language is just, you know, jealousy inducing. Um, (laughs) but he did a great job of describing his neighborhood and, and talking about the spots that he goes to and, and we could really visualize it. And then Elle did a wonderful job of incorporating that into what she wrote, which was so cool to see. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's my favorite part of this whole process is watching these other artists who have the same source material, so to speak, mm-hmm. of this interview come up with wildly different things. Um, and, and seeing their process throughout that is just so fascinating. So that one definitely stands out. Um, Tina Shermer Sellers stands out to me. She's such a fascinating individual. Um, you did a phenomenal job with the video on that one. I think everybody who contributed to that one did a really excellent job. Um, and it, yeah, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Those are two that yeah. stand out, but yeah. it's always exciting. Yeah. You know, it's always. They all have something to different and interesting to right bring to the table right yeah yeah it's not apples to apples it's it's just everyone is a a different thing Mm -hmm. yeah so how have you seen or have you seen um what have people's reactions been to the neighborhood arts collective once you started Mm -hmm. sharing it with others because it Mm -hmm. it always takes a little bit to sort of get that momentum going and now People are seeing it, and we, you guys had a gallery show back in December. Yeah. What have people's responses been? It's funny that over... I mean, we've been doing it for about three years now. Um, 
we spent that first year just create, I mean, you remember three years ago, you've been with us from the very beginning, that first year just creating, and it, it's been out into the public in the wild for two years. Mm-hmm. And over those three years, the responses from people have, I think, consistently been either they instantly get it or they instantly don't. And it's not, it's, it's kind of, uh, I mean, I don't want to give up on people, you know, uh-huh. but you can really tell when somebody just doesn't get it. Uh-huh. And, and, um, that's fine. That's fine. It's, you know, um, I don't think that's the majority of people. I think a handful of people it's, you know, we get questions like, so is this a business? How are you making money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we go, no, we're not. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it's like it doesn't fit into their schema. But right. uh, the other group of people, if if they're not worried about it, does it fit into a schema, um, they get it and they, they see the value and they go, oh, sweet. And then they start asking those interesting questions about like, what's your criteria for people? Mm-hmm. Or have you thought about doing this? Or um, could you also do this? Or could, you know, and then, then they come up with really interesting ideas. Um, and that, you know that's what makes all of this work is like we can do one thing individually and that's great. Mm -hmm. But if we get, you know, I think we have like 21 contributors now, if we get all of those people on board, then it's going to be infinitely more uh, interesting or at least 21 times more interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Again, I didn't take that second level of of calculus, but that's what my math says. Right. 21 Um, is infinite. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. Uh, Yeah. So I think, I think people's responses have been either confusion or this really warm and open, like, it's just beautiful to see people's guards go down Mm -hmm. and, and they go, Oh, I get it. I get it. And I, and I think whether they understand it or not, they do see the need for it. Mm -hmm. Cause when we talk about the why, the, can we, bring people together and show commonalities instead of pull people apart and show differences. Everybody gets that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's universal. Um, so whether they get what we're doing or not, they see that. And, and that's just a beautiful thing to, to see. So generally people are supportive um, at worst and super on board and creative and uh, creativity generating at best. And what I think is really unique about the Neighborhood Arts Collective is that um, I mean, you mentioned how the process happens where mm-hmm. there are a few different contributors who have a different art form mm-hmm. and they create something based on that person's story. And I think it's really unique to see it from not just one person is creating this whole series on them and mm-hmm. it's all their art and their perspective, but it is getting that multifaceted perspective from the various yeah. contributors and what they see stand out in the story or they see stand out in that person. Right. Um, and that's cool. And so I, I don't know if it's very clear, though. Can you share about the contributors? And do you you have 21 contributors right now. How yeah. does that work? And who's on which project? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I didn't clarify that. The um, Each collection, we try to have four or five or six contributors working on a collection at a time. Um, and those contributors... If let's just say there's five of them, then there will be five different art forms represented. And we might have an author, you know, let's say a poet um, doing a written work. We might have a visual artist 
doing a painting or a sculpture or whatever their medium is. Uh, we might have a photographer. I mean, generally every time we, we have a photographer, um, and then a musician as well. Um, and just kind of try to get a, a variety of arts. Mm -hmm. And each of those people, of course, has a different perspective. Uh, they have lived X number of years on this earth and they have a point of view. Um, and that's different than the other four on the team. Um, so they're looking at the same interview or listening to the same interview with that experience behind them. So they're of course going to pick up on different things than the person, the other contributors um, are going to pick up on. The idea is, can we portray this interviewee, this neighbor, as we call them, um, in a multifaceted way, right? So that team of, let's say five artists will stay in really close contact with each other over, generally it takes three or four months to get one of these things together. Um, it's kind of like the opposite of Netflix where, you know, it's not coming out 17,000 titles on a, any given Friday. Um, we'll do like three a year. <laughs> um, so over three or four months, that team of artists will stay in really close contact. And generally, like after we've spent a lot of time individually listening, watching that interview, we'll talk about the themes that we noticed. Um, and we do that because we don't want four of those five people to take the same angle, right? I don't want four artists in the collection we interviewed Randall mm -hmm. um, who's this 101 year old man when we interview him we don't want four of the five people telling the story about um, his friend r r crashing his airplane into the side of a mountain right mm -hmm. that's a fascinating story and if one of the five people want to do that which one did great then the other four can take something else mm -hmm. so that we're showing as much about Randall as we can because mm -hmm. the man's lived 129 years, years as we established. Um, so Calculus. Let's, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so let's show as much about him and, and as many different facets of him as we can. Um, and then it becomes a process kind of individually of, of you create your piece, um, let us know what you need, show us your your progress along the way because mm -hmm. that jogs things in other artists' minds of, oh, I could incorporate something, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and it's just interesting to watch people's progress, mm -hmm. watch each other's progress. And then um, once everybody's done with their individual pieces, then we come up with, okay, how are we going to put these together and show them on a on a website, which is... Of course, not the ideal way to show right. arts, but it, it's, it's, uh, it gets it out to people across the country. Yeah. Would you mind reading one of the poems or prose that's been written on the website just because that's an easier art form to share on podcast? Definitely. Awesome. Which, which one would you like to read? The, the one that comes to mind initially is Elle's poem uh, about, the, about Tina Shermer Sellers. I believe it's called Goddess of Closeness. Awesome. Goddess of Closeness. I was born with a name and a helmet, iron and tenderness bound into one. They say I chiseled myself from my father's head, broke my way free, sharp teeth and thirsty mouth, my identity chosen, champion, warrior, blood. They needed only violence, scoffed at my softness. I hold these in my hands. Woman and warrior. Push them together, static shock. My two body, uh, excuse me, my body two magnets, rage and patience. I don't play by rules made by men. 
I plotted, not bombed. I read, I studied, I grew hungry. Hunger like an ocean, ravenous, consuming, merciless. I ate it all. Art, sex, language, alchemy. My hands, once clumsy and brutish, now breed magic from their palms. My voice a siren and soothing sun. To be, counsel, to be both counsel and general, hammer and bandage, medicine and map. They wanted me to destroy, but instead I help rebuild. Goddess of closeness, I want to be near you. The mistake they made was trying to put a woman in a box. I heard them say, too loud, too much, not enough. See this bow? See this loom? Look what I create with just my hands. My arms are heavy with the weight of all my creations. See how I bend and stretch? My body, both tenderness and iron, both fluid and force. Remember, water turns even stone into sand. And then there's this asterisk that says the final line is inspired by a metaphor belonging to Margaret Atwood's novel, The Penelopeidae. Oh, I don't know. I've read that word so many times and I don't know how to say it. I've never heard that word, so that I don't one. know. It's from a novel in 2005. Anyways, awesome. that one's Thank one you. of my favorites. Why, why does that one stand out to you specifically? Yeah, she's comparing Tina to Athena, which also rhymes. Um, Athena is known as the goddess of war. What's lesser known, but also true, is that she's also called the goddess of closeness. Mm. So Elle does this brilliant job of showing this um, both and. Now, again, Elle could speak better for her own writing than mm -hmm. I can, but what I see in it is that it's a both and nature of Athena. It's not just war. It's not just closeness. It's both of these things. And, and some of the things that Tina talked about with us are um, this thread of justice in, in her life, in her six decades of life or however many it's been. I didn't ask her how old she is. Um, there's always been this thread of justice um, that she fights for institutional justice and whatever her job is, whatever her role is, whatever um, function she's serving, it's always fighting for justice. So it's kind of this warrior look to it, mm -hmm. but it's really about closeness. It's about making sure people's voices are heard who aren't always heard you know it's about fighting for her kids it's about fighting for her students because she's also an educator it's about you know all of these other things so Elle does a brilliant job of portraying both of those things it's not either or it's both and mm -hmm. um and and that i mean i'm not a, a language expert a poetry expert by any stretch of the imagination but even even i can see that mm -hmm. um and it's just a beautiful way of showing a normal person as much more complex and interesting than we tend to think of people we pass by every day, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, I just, I love that piece. Well, leaving music aside, mm -hmm. what is something that you are most curious about or interested in, oh. in this big wide world we live in? Most interested in or curious about? Oh man, I like I'm somebody who tries something out for a few weeks or a couple months and then kind of moves on to the next thing. So mm -hmm. often like 10, 12 years ago it was building furniture and then I found out I'm not good at that. Currently, 
I'm really interested in learning more about um, healthy ways to use land, mm. um, you know, whether that's gardening, whether that's uh, commercial farming practices or whatever it might be. Um, that's kind of in the last few months that's gotten my attention mm-hmm. um, and been really interesting. And I, th- I think that kind of comes from one of my favorite authors. Um, I've read a bunch of his novels, but some of his nonfiction work is is largely comes from his agricultural background. Wendell Berry um, just does brilliant, brilliant, brilliant writing and speaking um, about how we relate to the land. And I, and I love it. I mm. eat it up. Yeah. Well, that's actually all I have for us today. Cool. So thank you so much for joining me, David. That was really fun. Thanks for having me. And it me. was nice to hear more about what you are into and who you are and the Neighborhood Arts Collective. And um, can you share with people how they could get involved, either just viewing the art Absolutely. or if they want to be a contributor, if they want to donate? Yeah. Uh, our website is neighborhoodartscollective.org. I, I believe there's a tab up at the top that says join us. Um, uh, there's also a contact form on there. You can just drop us a line or questions or whatever. Um, and we read those and respond generally within a couple of days. Um, so get a hold of us there. Neighborhoodartscollective.org. Awesome. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks so much, David. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Curiosity Cast. For more content and episodes, you can visit www.thecuriositycast.com or follow us on Instagram at thecuriositycast. Stay curious.